Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Monday, August 7th. Uh, what's up, guys? Been a minute, been a minute. I did miss a week on you there. I'm sorry. Uh, believe it or not, I'm not I'm not getting paid for this quite yet, so it, it can't uh, be a full-time priority for me, but I do care deeply about this podcast. I hope you guys forgive me. Did have to do some traveling for work. Couldn't, couldn't pack this bulky microphone here. Couldn't bring it with me to record a pod on the road. So, couldn't get you an episode last week, but good thing there's exactly been one piece of news since we last spoke. Haven't missed much, so there wasn't any desperate need to get off some NBA takes off my chest, but we did have one big piece of news. So I will get into that in a, in a second. Did want to let you guys know that, of course, as you're seeing in the title, today's episode is going to be ranking the top 10 wings in the NBA headed into next season, obviously continuing the theme of our past couple episodes here, like I talked about before, uh, we did the point guards previously, we did shooting guards last episode, now we are coming at you with the wings, which we are going to get into in just one second. But of course, we got to talk about the one NBA storyline that I missed since my last podcast, and that is my guy, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, getting paid. It's about time. Jalen Brown got paid the largest contract, the most lucrative contract in NBA history, I should say, five years. $304 million, and if you guys are wondering, Nick, how do you feel about this? That is a lot of money to pay to a guy with one hand on the basketball court. Uh, I'm, st I'm still pretty happy about it, guys. As I said before, I wanted the Celtics to come out and pay Jalen Brown. Um, not even as much to say as he is deserving of the largest contract in NBA history. Obviously, I like the guy. Even I don't believe that, but it is just much better than what the other options of how this could have played out would be, right? I know I've talked about this a little bit, but just to give you my complete take on the situation, right? Obviously, I was pretty frustrated with how the season ended. I certainly wasn't happy with Jalen Brown. I definitely had some real, you know, question marks about, you know, if this team could eventually win the whole thing with Tatum and Brown as their two best players after how, how things ended against the Heat. Obviously, you know, Tatum got hurt in that game seven. Jalen had an absolutely nightmare game. And, you know, afterward, even then, I was still like, I think you have to re-sign him. And then, you know, as time has gone on over the past couple months here, I've I've definitely doubled down on that take, and, you know, it's really just because what, what other options could you have, have had from this situation, right? I guess, you know, if, if you really want to play hardball and you don't think Jalen's worthy of a max contract, you can, you know, try to offer him a lower contract and risk pissing him off heading into next season, and um, I can't imagine him and his agents were going to sign for anything less than the amount of money that they signed for. Uh, that being said, you could, you know, then try to trade him, right, and then see how that goes in the offseason, and uh, but the tricky thing is, is look, whether you like the Celtics as much as I do or not, you have to admit that they are contending for a championship. They've made it to the conference finals several times with this current core. They made it to uh, the NBA finals two seasons ago at this point. They are firmly in the contender conversation, and they have a guy who I believe is a top 10 player at the minimum in Jason Tatum, who's entering the prime of his career, I should add as well, right? Like, when you have a core that is... is that competitive when you have a player that is that special in Tatum you don't really want to mess around around the edges and risk bringing somebody into your building that doesn't fit that timeline and isn't ready to contend right away you know can you trade him for a guy like Damian Lillard and you know maybe shorten the timeline of the team a little bit to raise the ceiling for next season yeah I guess you could I wouldn't want to see them do that right um, you know for me I, I did want to see the Celtics shake things up because I had some real questions you know after how things ended the heat and I feel like they already made their big splash move in the Marcus Smart, Kristaps Porzingis trade that we've talked about before. So I was very nervous that they hadn't paid Jalen at the time I recorded my last episode. I know he was headed to Europe for some, uh, some of his duties pertaining to being on uh, vice president of the Players Association or something like that. So 
Uh, I'm very, I was overjoyed to see him get that money. It was a little bit startling to again uh, see that contract start with the number three, <laughs> 300 million that is, uh, for a guy that again has is, is struggled with ball handling in a pretty significant way over the past couple seasons. But I believe in the in the guy. Um, there should be no issues whatsoever about his happiness heading into next season. I don't care that we might have mentioned him in trade rumors uh, for Kevin Durant last offseason. Uh, I do not care that we waited a full month into free agency to ha offer him that contract. He was offered the largest contract in NBA history. He accepted and signed that contract. So now all we can do as Celtics fans is hope that they have retooled the roster enough around Tatum and Brown to compete again next season and just hope that we don't end up like – people in Portland right now and have our superstar ask out of a trade because, you know, I guess you're just screwed uh, no matter who your guys are and what the contract situation looks like if, if that happens to you and your star player gets upset. So hopefully our stars are happy now. I, I'm sure Tatum's happy with this news as well. Um, and good for Jalen Brown, well-deserved. Uh, and we'll see how things look for the Celtics heading into next season. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Top 10 wings in the NBA Heading into next season, my quick disclaimers, I should say, that I've done at the start of every episode. Again, this is not taking into account the contract of the players. It is not taking into account the age of the players. It is just in a vacuum. Who are the 10 best wings in the NBA heading into next season? That is all I will say on that. And this was a pretty tough list. I think this was probably the hardest list I had to make. You know, the shooting guard list was difficult because... You know, it was pretty ugly. <laughs> I was like, who do I want to spend, like, you know, five minutes talking about at the bottom of this list, right? Uh, whereas the wings, I, I definitely don't think we have this issue. But, you know, I don't want to give away too much. But for me, it was just like, how much do you value availability? How much do you value health of these players? Because we have some major, major health question marks that we're going to dive into a little bit as we get further up this list. But let me start off with one last disclaimer, and that is... I did not put Giannis on this list, not because I don't think he's talented enough to make the top 10 wings in the NBA. I just kind of consider him more of a big man, uh, a big man that is, again, the next list and the final list of this series that we're going to do is, is probably going to be next episode. We'll be doing ranking the top 10 big men in the NBA. Again, just kind of feel like positions are dying as a whole. There's, there's not really small forwards and power forwards like there used to be, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Uh, so I just went wing and big for the front court players just to make things easier. And I do just think that Giannis... He doesn't really fit either, right? He's a freak. He's one of the, the, the top two player in the entire league and one of the best players I've ever seen in my life of watching basketball. He's an absolute freak. I just think if I really, like, gun to my head, had to say, is, is Giannis a wing? Is Giannis a big? I'd probably say he's a big, right? He's seven feet tall. He averaged 19 points per game just from scoring in the paint alone last season. Like, he, he's dominant around the basket. Uh, and I think that that's just where I want to put him. And again, the big man list is probably going to be a little bit weaker than the wing list anyway. So if I can talk about Giannis for five minutes next episode instead of talking about Jonas Valanciunas, that's what I'm going to do. All right. So just just bear with me. Uh, I know these lists aren't perfect, but they are my opinion. I, I put some time and effort into creating these. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. So now that I disclaimed again, Giannis not eligible on this list. He will be on the big man list next episode. Honorable mentions, all right? Got a couple names here that I think are all worth mentioning. First and foremost, the guy that I was closest to putting on this list, I went back and forth in the 10 spot, Pascal Siakam. Um, he's not my favorite, not my favorite player, right? He's, you know, 29 years old. He's been on the Raptors his entire career. He's an NBA champion as part of the 2019 Raptors team that ended up knocking off Golden State. Um, I like Siakam, you know, I, I don't, I can't say I like Siakam. I respect Siakam, right? He plays, you know, 40-something minutes a game because under Nick Nurse, he, you know, they, he never really plays his subs, right? He's a solid 
two-way player. I just, again, we've kind of seen how it plays out if Pascal Siakam's your best player the past couple seasons, right? The Raptors haven't been overly successful. They didn't even make it um, out of the play-in tournament this past season. So, again, I, I like Siakam. He's solid, but I think we know what he is at this point. I don't think he's got that elite ceiling. Um, but if you want to argue him for number 10 when we get to that spot, I totally get it. There's probably some Raptors fans that think I'm crazy for the guy I have at number 10 over him. But I just I couldn't get there with Siakam. I just I haven't seen enough development on the offensive end of the court. Um, and I just don't think he has that elite ceiling. Another honorable mention is is uh, Mikal Bridges of the Brooklyn Nets. Most recently, obviously, he got traded at the deadline from Phoenix over to Brooklyn. I like Bridges. He was really special <laughs> during that end of the season run with Brooklyn, right? I just think it was too small of a sample size for me to put him there, right? Like, obviously, he was, his usage rate probably doubled, maybe even tripled going from Phoenix over to Brooklyn. And um, he showed that he was, you know, really capable of being a legitimate two-way star. We knew that he was kind of an elite defender in Phoenix, right? Just kind of had the, the job of locking down the opposing team's best player and, you know, hitting some open shots. But he proved there was a lot more to his offensive game once he got to Brooklyn. Again, just too small of a sample size. Couldn't get there with him. Another guy I talked briefly about last episode because he wasn't eligible on the shooting guard list. That was DeMar DeRozan. Uh, really liked DeMar. I know he got some weird, like, MVP buzz a couple seasons ago when the Bulls were way more competitive than people thought. Um, I love him. I love his game. I love that he's probably a, still a top three mid-range scorer in the, in the league. And maybe even in the league's, like, history, he's probably top ten in that category. Like, he really is that special, like, creating his own shot in the mid-range. But, again, he just doesn't give you a ton defensively. He's getting up there in age. Like, the three-point shooting's better than what it was early career, but it's still nothing great. Um, I just couldn't get there on DeRozan. And then two other honorable mentions, um, the Young Bucks in Orlando, uh, Paulo Bancaro, the number one overall pick last year, as well as Franz Wagner. Those guys are ex extremely fun to watch. They're two-way players. They can both hit shots at a high level. And um, I think the sky's the limit, especially for Paulo. I'd be shocked if he's not on this list, you know, come the end of next season. So maybe I should just project a little bit and put him at 10. But it did feel a little bit disrespectful to the guys that we already have on this list. So I couldn't quite get there with the Orlando guys. But again, Paulo and Franz also honorable mention let's get into it top 10 wings in the nba heading into next season we've gone through the honorable mentions let's get to my guy at number 10 this one was a pick for me right this was this is one of my guys you guys can laugh you guys can make fun of me you can say everybody i mentioned the honorable mentions is better than this guy and i probably couldn't make the largest argument against that right it wouldn't be the most passionate argument i've ever made but at number 10, this is where I had Laurie Markkinen, right? I just really had a lot of fun watching the Utah Jazz at the beginning of last season, weirdly caught a ton of their games on League Pass. And Laurie Markkinen, of course, winner of the Most Improved Award last season, made a massive, massive jump. I think his points per game increased by like 12 or 13 points. 26 points a game last season. And again, I am going to provide stats for all of these players, right? I am going to just provide points, rebounds, assists, as well as their shooting percentages for the regular season last year. Not that I'm basing the entire list off of those stats, but just to provide a little bit of context for these players. 26 points per game, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 50% shooting from the field, and 39% shooting from deep. He's just a really fascinating player to watch. Like, again, even though Giannis isn't eligible uh, for this list because I consider him a big, Laurie Markkinen does definitely play more like a wing despite being 7 feet tall. Uh, but I just, I think he's such a fascinating player. He can slash at a really high level. He can kind of create his own shot. He still shoots the ball at a really high clip. And then on the defensive end of the court, he can guard other teams' fives because, again, he's seven feet tall. Now, 
The biggest gripe you could say about that is, look, he was on the Utah Jazz that did not even make the play-in tournament. But again, as somebody who did watch a lot of Utah last season, you know, they just kind of cut things off right a little bit after the trade deadline, right? Like, again, it was in their best interest to lose because of the timeline of their team, right? They're trying to accumulate as many high draft picks as humanly possible. Danny Ainge, you know, probably pulled the plug on their little bit of a Cinderella run that they had going to start last season. And so they probably intentionally tried to lose a couple of those games down the stretch. But Laurie Markkinen was the best player on a team that was in the middle of the pack in the Western Conference for the majority of last season. So, again, if you want to put Pascal Siakam and, and Mikal Bridges and whoever else above him, I get it. I just really like Laurie's game. If I was a general manager heading into next season, I'd rather have Laurie Markkinen on my team than Siakam, than Bridges, just for next season. Because I think you can get really cute with him, too, right? Like, again, he's seven feet tall. If you really wanted him to play the five you know, at least defensively, right, and just throw him out there with a bunch of wings, and then, you know, offensively, they're going to be really difficult to guard, because he can blow by a lot of the bigs in the NBA, I think you could do stuff like that, and at, at the bare minimum, you're getting somebody that's really special athletically, and can shoot the ball at a 40% clip at seven feet tall, sign me up for that any day of the week, I love Laurie Markkinen. Moving on to number nine, a guy that's been in a lot of off-season storylines for, you know, maybe not the wrong reasons, but certainly not the right reasons either, this is where I had Zion Williamson, right? This is, again, the injuries play such a big role in this list. I don't want to spend the entire time talking about injuries, but I think we know the deal with Zion at this point in the injuries, right? He played in 29 games last season. He played in zero games the season before. He played in 61 games his second year in the league, right? His, his really closest thing he's put out to a full season, of course, and then in his rookie year only played in 24 games. But the reason why he's still on this list at all is because of how special Zion is, right? You know, statistically, 26 points per game last season, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 61% shooting from the field, dude. Like, the guy just, he just doesn't miss. He doesn't miss because he's quite literally one of the most efficient scorers we've ever seen in NBA history. Again, extremely small sample size, <laughs> but he's unstoppable when he's out there. And he even shot 37% from 3 last season. Now, again, only 29 games. He only shot a handful of them per game. Uh, so I don't really want to buy into the Zion jump shot stock quite yet, but I am just buying in on the, on the talent of Zion Williamson. He would easily be, you know, top five, maybe even in the entire league if he just stays healthy and, and could play in at least 70 games. You know, that doesn't really seem like it's going to happen anytime soon because Zion's got to get his act together physically, right? He's got to, you know, put in the work to invest in his body like, like guys like LeBron James do just to stay out there on the court because... You know, he, he's a special player, and he's got a, a really special set of skills where, like, again, he's six foot seven, probably pushing 300 pounds, and, you know, still has, you know, easily a 40-inch vertical. Like, guys just cannot match up with him. He overpowers guys that are four or five inches taller than him. He jumps off the gym. Uh, doesn't really matter what he's weighing in at. He still finds a way to produce on the court, and those stats that I read to you have basically been identical his entire, you know, four-year career, right? Um, he's just really special. It's just a matter of if he can stay on the court or not. You know, I wouldn't exactly bet on Zion, but I, I would tell you if I knew he was playing in 60-plus in games next season, he'd be a hell of a lot higher than number nine on this list. Moving on to number eight, got a fellow podcaster, Podcast P, if you will. This is where I had Paul George. Uh, shout out my guy, Brendan. You know, if he, if he was the one making this list, he'd probably have him up in the top three because, you know, he really, maybe he's just too big of a fan of his podcast. I don't really know. You know, I do, I like Paul George, right? I think I like the idea of Paul George, again, similar to Zion when he's on the court. Statistically for him, 24 points per game, six rebounds, five assists, 46% shooting from the field, 37% shooting from deep. He did play in 56 games last season, which I was a little surprised at. I thought it was less than that. He actually played in one more game than LeBron did. 
last season, but it just I, I think it just felt like he missed more because he missed the entire end of the regular season and then obviously all of the playoffs as well. Um, he did play in only 31 games the year prior and 54 games the year before that. So it's been a while since we saw a solid 60-plus 60, 60 game season out of Paul George, probably since 2018 when he was in the MVP conversation with OKC. You know, he's still the prototypical wing in the NBA. He just is, right? He's what, 6'9", 6'10", you know, incredible athleticism. He's one of the smoothest guys in the NBA to watch, too. He's got a, his bag, has a bag, as uh, Mark Jones would say, right? Um, I, I just, I like the game. Great shooter, you know, can, can guard the other team's best player as well. But, again, we just haven't seen it from him in a couple years. And, and at some point, I have to take into account availability on this list. And that's why I'm slotting Paul George in at number eight. Moving on, number seven. This is a teammate of Zion Williamson. This is where I had Brandon Ingram. Now, it was tricky. Again, this was a very difficult list to make. You know, he only played in 45 games last season himself, but in general, he's been healthier than guys like Paul George and Zion over the past couple seasons, so I am kind of giving him a nod above those guys on the list, even though talent-wise, when healthy, I don't know if he's as good as a Paul George or, or certainly not as a Zion, but I do like Brandon Ingram. I, I really respect his game. I had a lot of fun watching the Pelicans, especially at the start of last season. Statistically, he put up 25 points per game, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 48% shooting from the field, 39% shooting from deep. Uh, he was really awesome down the stretch last season, too, right? When he did get healthy toward the end of the regular season, I was really impressed with his ability to close games. I feel like he, he took a major step forward. Like, again, he's definitely in the shadow of Zion and, and just in a shadow in general since getting traded away from the Lakers, right? He doesn't get a lot of hype, but... Again, exactly what you'd want in a wing. He still defends at a decently high level. You'd like to see him get a little bit stronger to hold up better on the perimeter, but or on the interior, rather. But I like Brandon Ingram. I think he is definitely somebody that can keep, keep your team afloat and somebody consistent that they need to have alongside a guy like Zion. So feel pretty comfortable giving him the nod over guys like Paul George and Zion, and I had him slotted in at number seven. At number six, a guy we talked about a lot earlier, of course, this is where I had Jalen Brown. Now, I'm not really taking into account tiers too much when it comes to this list, right? Because it's just so hard with the injuries and the guys that are so often injured that we're going to be talking about in this list. And hint, hint, we're not done yet. <laughs> we got a, at least one more uh, guy that's often injured to talk about. But Jalen Brown, obviously a guy near and dear to my heart. 27 points per game, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 49% shooting from the field and 34% shooting from deep. I just think that, again, there would be a tear jump in between Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown. I just, you know, I think Jalen Brown's just a little bit more, definitely a bit more athletic, definitely a little bit more consistent. He's been in a lot bigger games with how many playoff runs the Celtics have had the past couple seasons. Now, the negatives, we know what they are, right? He, he still can't dribble to, to save his life. I think the shot selection is pretty questionable. You know, 34% shooting from three isn't bad by any means, but... Honestly, I felt like that should be higher. It probably just comes down to his shot selection a little bit. I think he just settles for really difficult shots much more than he should. And, you know, people don't really talk about that enough. But, you know, you can't really nitpick a guy that plays in a ton of games each and every year, can take over a game with his athleticism, can just really, you know, dominate from the defensive end of the court as well. He can really lock up when he has to, when he's interested and engaged. Hopefully, you know, $304 million has something to say about how engaged he is next season. But, I like Jalen Brown. I think he's just more available than the guys we talked previously at, at, on this list. But he doesn't have the elite ceiling of the guys that we are going to talk about in the top five. And at number five, again, the final, you know, true injury bug player that we're going to be talking about today, Kawhi Leonard, right? 24 points per game last season, seven rebounds, four assists, 51% shooting from the field, and 42% shooting from three. 
Now, he did muster up 52 games last season. Uh, he did play zero the season before that and 52 the season prior to that. So that's just kind of what we're looking at for Kawhi. You know, 104 regular season games over the last three years. Not great, not what you want to see. But did you guys watch the playoffs, right? <laughs> did you watch the handful of games, what, the three, four games that Kawhi Leonard played in uh, against the Suns? Maybe I'm looking too far into that, but again... He was playing against a very talented team in Phoenix, and he looked like far and away the best player on the court in those games against Phoenix. They split uh, they split the first two games, and I think he got hurt in the third game, right? I'm not sure if he ended up playing in that one or what. But, man, it's, there's no doubt that Kawhi is still, you know, at least the same guy offensively that he was a couple years ago. I think he might even be better offensively. Now, defensively, he's probably hit a little bit of, dec of a decline, right? He's probably not the same, you know, the claw, if you will, that we saw in San Antonio and maybe even Toronto. But offensively, man, he could still just get to his shot in the mid-range more efficiently and smoother than ever before. Like, he really is incredible. Um, I, I love his game, and he has that elite ceiling, and, and he is the reason why idiots like myself get sucked into the Clippers each and every, you know, March and April, right? Because, hey, if this is the year that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy, like, they could win the whole thing, and that's that's really not crazy talk right there. But the reality of the situation is we just have not seen that at all, right? We haven't seen either of those guys really be on the court, let alone both of them. Uh, but I do just think that Kawhi Leonard, because he has the ability to not just be a top five player on this list, but a top five player in the entire league, like, I had to give him the nod above a guy like Jalen Brown. Like, Kawhi Leonard has been the best player on, on at least one, maybe two different championship teams. He has that pedigree. He's gotten it done at every level. He's not phased by t difficult situations, by clutch situations. I just, again, he just, he has that elite ceiling, whether you like him or not, um, whether you get frustrated by the missed games. I'm sure Clippers fans that are listening to this are just, you know, I don't even know how you'd feel about the guy at this point in time, but uh, I just have to give the nod to the talent, and I, I really love and appreciate Kawhi's game, so I have him here at number five. And now we're getting into the top tier, right? This is, again, I didn't, again, mention I wasn't going to do too much, too much talk about tiers because this list is a shit show. It's, it's really difficult. You're basically splitting hairs all the way. But while I think there was probably a, a tier jump from 10 to 9, another one from 7 to 6, and now there's going to be a pretty big tier jump from five to four because of these are these are guys that have performed at a very high level on the biggest stage and and done so in the past couple of years. At number four, this is where I had Jimmy Butler, right? And and you could have this guy as high as number one on your list, and I really wouldn't be able to push back too much. Uh, but this is where I landed for for Jimmy at number four. Uh, Twenty three points per game in the regular season last year, six rebounds, five assists, fifty four percent shooting from the field, and thirty five percent shooting from deep. As you would expect, those numbers certainly do not jump off the screen as far as the regular season statistics for Jimmy Butler. But again, we know who he is at this point. He's a guy that evolves into a bare minimum top 10, maybe even top 5 player in the entire world when it comes to playoff time. He's somebody that can defend your best player uh, on the other end of the court as well. He's somebody that takes and makes difficult shots. He is an absolute dog in every sense of the word. Uh, love Jimmy Butler. I just, again, I think... Obviously, if, if you're nitpicking his run during the playoffs, he wasn't the same guy after that Milwaukee series. I don't think that's a secret. It was a much more well-rounded team effort, and he really just wasn't the true, you know, top five, oh my God, I, I, you know, nuclear Jimmy Butler that we saw in that Milwaukee series. But, you know, in, in a lot of ways, he didn't need to be, right? He, he got to the finals, um, you know, by, you know, getting a little bit of help from guys like Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson along the way, and of course, Bam Adebayo. Uh, but that being said, like, again, his offensive game just takes a massive leap when you hit the playoffs. He's a guy that is, you know, as probably one of the scariest guys to root against. I can say that firsthand as a Celtics fan who's rooted against him basically what seems like every year the past, you know, several years in the playoffs, right? 
Jimmy's a dog. I just I couldn't quite get there above above the other top three guys in this list. Really, just because again he's as good as he is in the playoffs. You could you know kind of ding him a little bit for his regular season performances. Right, Miami you know was a pretty terrible regular season team last year. Obviously, I know they were the one seed the year before, but I just think night in night out you get more from the top three than you do from Jimmy Butler. But come playoff time, if you wanted to put him at number one, I wouldn't really be able to say shit about it. Number three, this is where I had. LeBron James. Uh, LeBron at number three on this list. Uh, what is he, like 38, 39 years old at this point in time, right? But statistically, last season for LeBron, 29 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 50% shooting from the field, 32% shooting from deep. Obviously, the three ball went on him a little bit. He did only play in 55 games last season, but... It's LeBron, man. He's been in, in so many different battles, right? He's probably the, you know, really can't debate he's any worse than the second best player all time. He's never going to top Jordan <laughs> in my book. I can't say never, but he, he certainly hasn't surpassed Jordan in my book yet. Uh, but this is not a LeBron-MJ debate. This is a top 10 wings in the NBA. And look, I know that he's banged up. I think there's a real injury concern for Bron at this point in time that there hasn't been during the first, you know, 16 years of his career at this point. But the fact that he can just pick his spots, unlike really anybody else in the NBA, and still take over in big games. And honestly, he still is probably a top three guy in the entire league at just getting to the basket. Like, the man's pushing 40 years old, and he's still an absolute freight train. There's, there's dudes half his age that can't stay in front of him. He's so strong. He knows his body like the back of his hand, right? He can get to his spot. His post games come along. And the only negative thing you can say about LeBron's game at this point is that the three ball is obviously falling off a little bit. It's probably not where he would want it to be, right? You'd think for his advanced age, if he could just kind of rely on the three ball to get, you know, nine, ten points a game just from the three-point line, um, that would be ideal for LeBron, and it wouldn't even shock me to see him take 700 shots a day all offseason and come back and shoot, you know, 38% from three next season. Like, that wouldn't even be that shocking at this point in time. But LeBron's a beast, man. If you have LeBron as, as the best player or, or the second best player on your team, you will have a chance to contend for a championship. I was kind of banging the drum for the Lakers a bit around the trade deadline just because I felt like Rob Palenka finally woke up from his coma and, and, you know, put the traditional pieces around LeBron that you would need, right? Some shooting, some defending, and, and really that's about it when you have a guy like Anthony Davis already in the building too. The Lakers are going to be a team that people are not going to be sleeping on again heading into next season. If they stay healthy, which is a big if, they will be a top you know, 4-5 seed in the West without a doubt, and they'll be a real contender come April, May. And uh, looking forward to seeing LeBron defy father time once again next season. Moving on to number two, this is where I had Kevin Durant. 29 points per game last season, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 56% shooting from the field for an entire season. That's nuts. 40% <laughs> shooting from three as well. Now, Kevin Durant was in headlines, you know, most of last season because, you know, again, he was on the Nets. When, when were, the, were we not talking about the Nets when they had uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? That was kind of a nonstop storyline at the start of, next season, of last season. Of course, he got traded for one of the largest trade compensation packages ever at the deadline to send him over to Phoenix. But what was kind of lost in translation for all that is the absolutely insane shooting efficiency from Kevin Durant, even by his standards. Like, again, a 50-40-90 season is incredible achievement for really anybody ever, and I know Durant's been in that club before. But, again, if he had met the threshold for number of games played, which I think was like 60 games or something like that, you know, he was shooting 56%, he had a 56 
40-90 season. Like, absolutely unheard of stuff from Durant. He's still a walking bucket. He can get that mid-range pull-up whenever he wants, no matter who's guarding him, no matter what the situation is. He is easily the best scoring forward we've ever seen in the NBA and probably ever will see. Uh, again, the only thing you want to ding him up on is, again, how many games are you going to get from him? He seems to always have a 20-game a injury basically every season the past several seasons. But if he's out there for when it counts for, you know, again, March, April, May, June, uh, if you have Kevin Durant on your team, you're going to have a really great shot to win the whole thing. And, and it's a huge reason why Phoenix is going to be a powerhouse heading into next season. At number one, I think we all know who's left on this list. And you can call me a homer. You can say I'm biased. You can say whatever. But I'm unapologetically putting my guy, Jason Tatum, at number one on this list. 30 points per game last season, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 47% shooting from the field, 35% from deep. I love JT. That's no secret. And again, I'm not putting him at number one to make some statement, and I'm not saying it's not even close, but... I do feel pretty good about where to put him at just based on all the variables of availability when you take an age into account. Like, again, he's, he plays in a lot more games than Kevin Durant and LeBron James. He gives you a lot more during the regular season than a guy like Jimmy Butler. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, like, look, I know that the Celtics got bounced by the Heat. I know they lost to an eight seed. I know it was an embarrassing fashion for them to crawl all the way back from being down 0-3 just to lose in Game 7. Like, that really sucked. But... Is it crazy to say that like Tatum outplayed Jimmy in that season, in that series, I should say? Because I, I feel like he did, right? Like again, I don't think it came down to a, a Tatum versus Jimmy thing that like, you know, many analysts would believe you to say and, and many people in sports media would want you to say, right? Like you would love to be a clash of these two mega superstars and whatever. But it really just came down to, in my opinion, the lack of production from Jalen Brown and other role players in the Celtics and the insane production they got from guys like Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent throughout that series. And Tatum was awesome. Like, Tatum showed me a lot in the playoffs, obviously, when he had, you know, he flipped the switch, if you will, and what was that? That was game six against Philadelphia, right? Or game, yeah, game six against Philadelphia. He, he played, you know, basically one of the worst games I've ever seen Tatum play shooting-wise. I think he had missed, like, 12 consecutive shots in a row or something like that. Just for him to continue to shoot his way out of that slump and have a massive fourth quarter where he took over the game, beat Philadelphia on the road, and then went and dropped 50-something points on their head in Game 7. I think Tatum did take a leap this season. Now, it was just frustrating that the team success didn't exactly correlate with how much better I felt like Tatum was. I know he had big big playoff games the season before, uh, or the year before, on the, on the way to the finals. Like, there's obviously no doubt about that. I just feel like Tatum was, was considerably better. I feel like he was considerably more invested in these games, and I think he'll continue to get better. Like, that's the scary thing, right? The guy is, what, 25, turning 26, heading into next season? Like, he's gotten considerably better every single year of his career. I am projecting a little bit by putting him above guys like LeBron and Durant and Jimmy Butler, but... Again, if it's the regular season that we're talking about here and it's the fact that he does give you more on a night-to-night basis, then you know he plays more games than Durant and LeBron and he just gives you more straight up than guy like Jimmy Butler. I think it just makes sense to put Jason Tatum at number one on this list. That's my guy. That's where I'm going to have him. And that just about does it, guys. Again, relatively quick podcast. Hopefully I did not ramble too much on this. We are going to continue to crank up these episodes once a week again. My bad for missing a, a podcast episode last week. I hope you guys will forgive me for not having an episode out on August 1st or whatever, right? There was literally nothing to talk about. But I will continue cranking out these episodes. You could probably expect me to rank the top 10 big men in the NBA heading into next season on next episode. I am still reaching out to some beat reporters, trying to get some people from around the league to give us some inside scoop on 
what's going down in these front offices, what's going down in these training camps, etc. Uh, but before I get up out of here, guys, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. That includes Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts, I am there. Be sure to rate and review the show, share the show, tell a friend. And most importantly, guys, if you're still listening at this point in the podcast, let me know. What do you guys want to see me talk about the rest of this offseason, right? We got some dog days of summer ahead with, with several more August episodes to crank out. September will be pretty slow as well. I don't expect any major NBA storylines to come out at this point in the calendar year. So just let me know. Do you guys like the rankings? Do you want to see me do you know, some trade value stuff? Do you want to see me do another tier ranking? What do you guys want to see? You guys have my number. Hit me up or hit me up on any of the podcast socials. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.